Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. What is up? Welcome to episode number 399 of On the Corner, the official PitcherList.com podcast. I'm your host, Alex Fast, joined as always by the chipper, Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? What is happening? Yes, you can call me Jones today. Because you're so chipper. You're just yeah. so chipper. We got a great podcast plan for you today. Obviously, the rankings have just come out. Come, come out. They have just come out. Is that an indication of how uh, this is going to be or what? It's going to be a great podcast. I'm in my uh, Mike Trout shirt, which is my wife's least favorite shirt. I got it at a thrift right? store in Japan. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is hideous. It is just his know, face but as it's, large it's, it's as possible. You. I'm wearing oh, my Sandy Crush today. That's a good one. Yeah. That is a good yeah. one. Yeah, Chris hates oh, it because I usually like try and make his mouth talk. Like I'm oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And also like when you like sit down, it just scrunches his face too. Yeah, it's, it's very funny. I, yeah. I love it. I I uh, I think it's a great shirt. But that's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about the top one hundred, which just came out. Um before we do, there are plenty of things that you guys should be doing each week. If you if you just tuned in, Nick was just streaming uh the creation of the list, which he does every Monday, which you should be tuning in for. He does streams every day. You should be checking those out. You should be checking out the pitch breakdowns that he does. What was the most recent pitcher breakdown that you did? You did a, a really good one a couple of days ago, but what was the most yeah, recent? Yeah, AJ one? Smith show. Shaver, yes, Miss Smith. Yeah, Shaver, Smith. Shaver. No out, uh, and yeah, I do those generally every weekday morning. I didn't do one today because it's the it's the holiday, and all I wanted to give uh, the people that put up the video and stuff a day off. But I, uh, but yeah, check those out uh, weekday mornings and fast. Actually, we have something on Wednesday. I don't know if we, I didn't confirm this with you yet. This is the first time I think fast might be hearing, unless he listens to the Plus Pitch podcast all the way through mm. yesterday and today. Uh, we are going to be doing a live stream. Announcing the Atlanta Philadelphia game as Aaron Nola versus AJ Smith Shaver at 6:40 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm doing it. I don't know if Fast will be able to. I didn't want to assume that he was. I hope you'll can at least say hi at some point. But it's going to be really fun because it's with Playback.tv, and what that means is we can all watch the game live. It's like Twitch, but with Ooh. live. So I can't wait. All you have to do is authenticate it with MLB.tv or your cable provider. And we will be watching the game as a group. I can't wait. It's going to be super fun. 6.40 p.m. Eastern time this Wednesday. So that would be the 21st of June. And hopefully it means we'll do more of them. Come on by. Watch some good baseball together. That's going to be so much fun. That's at this Wednesday at 6.40 p.m. 6.40. Mm, that might be Maybe a tough one for me to join. Time. We'll see. Huh? But the thing is. Also, if you are in the crowd, I can bring you up on stage. So if you have something you need to tell me about that you see, I can bring you on and we can talk live. It's going to be such a fun time. Um, think like Twitter spaces, 
but then also a live game going on behind us that we're all tuned in and watching. It's going to be great. Love it. Yeah, it's a difficult one. It's That's 340 for us West Coasters, but yeah. that just to mean that all the East Coasters, well, all the West Coasters who can join in and watch from work. It's going to be super sick. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're going to jump in to the top 100, to the rankings over here. We've got a new... Uh, <laughs> category for you today it oh, is yes. venue venue seats venue, venue seats. seats venue seats and it could be any venue and any seat but venue uh-huh. seats okay here sure. we go um so we're breaking in we're jumping to the top 10 here this is tier one one through five only one change here uh number one still shane mcclanahan Garrett Cole back up to number two, followed by Spencer Strider at three, Luis Castillo at four, and Kevin Gosman at five. What's it called, and why is it called that? This is the drummer's stool. Oh, because it's like the best seat in the house because you're watching yeah. from. Yeah, yeah that's nice. Yeah. yeah, I used to when I used to gig all the time. My drummer used to carry a GoPro with him and used to get great footage of stuff mm. like that. Um, wait, wait, we should would start- it have footage of you playing bass on stage. It, yeah, a lot of footage of me playing bass on stage. I mean, uh, wh- where, where can we get access to this footage fast? Uh, I I can try and find access to it. It's on his Instagram. He has access of the old Jones Beach shows Justin that Mason, I used to do. The signal has been placed into the sky. <laughs> uh, that's very funny. Um, all right. So what we should start with, I think, is this conversation about Spencer Strider versus Luis Castillo, right? So Spencer Strider, obviously, it's been difficult for the past couple of starts. You know, he, in the middle of May, he's, you know, he actually at the beginning of May, he starts to show that he's human and he gets hit by the Mets a little bit. But we're like, oh, no worries, because he backs it up with back-to-back double-digit strikeout games. Then he gets hit by Texas. And we're like, whatever, it's Texas. It's all good. Then another double-digit strikeout game with some poor defense at the end of May. But then these back-to-back starts, the Mets was obviously the most alarming of them all with eight earned runs over four. Then Wednesday, he's supposed to pitch on Tuesday. He's supposed to have a two-start week. And the rainout happens. He ends up getting the first half of the doubleheader. Maybe that has something to do with it. But at the end of the day, this is a guy with, you know, a 412 ERA, a 361 expected ERA. Luis Castillo's got the better ERA. He's got the better expected ERA. Um, he's got the better whip. He obviously does not have the, the strikeouts, but talk to me about why Spencer Strider is still three and Luis Castillo is at four. I think I kind of want to give him um, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt after the last two outings. Uh, Spencer Strider before the last two had a 297 ERA with a one whip and a 41% strikeout rate. So really, it's saying for me, changing Spencer Strider saying, look, the last two outings that you've had, that's the real you and everything else was a fluke. And I think it's a much easier explanation to say, all right, he wasn't at the top of his game and things didn't go his way the last two starts than to say that, no, Spencer Strider wasn't the man he was uh, for 12 games prior to that. Um, That's kind of where I'm at here. Uh, Also, Luis Castillo, I couldn't really do much about this because you just walked six batters. So, you know, I, I appreciate what you're doing. You still have 10 points down in strikeout rate relative to Strider at 29% versus the 39% of Strider. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't really do much, but I'm very much excited about Luis Castillo. And we were very much, um, I look back at the preseason. I was wrong about many things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Spencer Strider emphasis was the one that we were like, okay, hey, we, we liked this one. Um And I remember being like, okay, cool. I'm going to take Robbie Ray instead of George Kirby. Uh, Anyway, uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, and so many other things. But to see Luis Castillo be the guy that we thought in the la- second half of last year, like it was an emphasis of the four-seamer, and we thought, you know what, this is a real thing that he's going to carry over, and he really did in such a big way. Uh, Luis Castillo's four-seamer is a very, very, very legitimate pitch. Uh, this year, I think we did this last podcast, but yeah, it's still 21st, uh, 21% swing strike rate, 99th percentile among all starting pitchers, which is just insane. So yeah, I love I love them both. Um, but I also think that, yes, yeah, Spencer Strider isn't just all of a sudden not the man he was before. There, As a quick tangent, there are certain artists that you listen to that all of a sudden can change on the, uh, you know, on a dime and reinvent themselves Yoko and have Ono, success. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, Yoko Ono. Jesse Ware comes to mind. You know, I guess you could make that argument about David Bowie a little bit, right? Plenty of artists like that who just kind uh-huh. of switch up genres and succeed. Luis Castillo should be considered in that front, right? I don't think we give enough credit to the fact that this was what a sinker changeup guy. We were like, oh, great changeup. One of the best changeups in all of baseball, right? Sure. Uh, and that's fantastic. And his career is going to be based off that. And then he comes to Seattle and he's like, that was the old me. I'm going to shed my skin. This is the new me. I'm a four seam slider guy uh, and has just as much success, if not more success, uh, doing that over the course of the year. I mean, the, he's at the moment, you know, I don't think he is the Cy Young winner because I think that's Shane McClanahan, but he is in the Cy Young race 100%. at the moment, which is yeah. uh, unbelievable. Let's well, move to. See what happens the last month of the season. Yeah, literally anything can happen. And that's the thing, too. Everyone waits the last two months anyway. So it really is like, I feel like about what you've done. What have you done for me lately? Let's move to tier two here, six through 15. Corbin Burns, Shoei Otani, Zach Wheeler, Clinton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Zach Gallen jumps up three to 11, followed by Tyler Glass now at 12. Frember Valdez up two to 13. And rounding out the tier is Christian Javier and Joe Ryan at 15. What's it called and why is it called that? Yeah, this is right behind home plate. Um, it's, it's not perfect, believe it or not, because I don't necessarily know if I can see everything that's happening. And especially me with, uh, being so focused on how things are moving and where it is. I kind of wish I had like a little mini TV also of the broadcast mm-hmm. with it so I can reflect back quickly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it's, you know, it's not the, it's not the greatest, the best is on the mound. Um, but, uh, it, it's pretty good. Okay. Now, listen, I uh, we do this every week now where we get caught up in the top 20 and then I look at the clock and we're like 87 minutes in and we have 40 yeah. pitchers to go. There isn't anyone here that, that in my mind we haven't at least shed some light on in the past week or two. Is there anyone from this tier that you especially want to hit on, especially because there's not many, many movers and shakers uh, in this tier? Is there anyone on this tier... You know, Corbin Burns, four consecutive quality starts. Joe Ryan, those lack of secondaries starting to uh, creep in a little bit. Zach Gallen looking good. Anyone in this tier that you really want to hit upon? Yeah, nothing too much. I know a lot of people are probably scared of Christian Javier right now. The slider has not been what you want it to be. And then we finally saw a start where the fastball also wasn't very good. And that was why that start didn't go well for Christian Javier. But this is really something, especially at this point in the season, that we uh, we hammer in a lot is that, yes, every single pitcher is going to have bad moments this year. Every single one. And how we treat those games is it's actually an indication of a trend or not. And I think with Christian Javier is the decision of like, okay, do we just expect that he's not going to get a slider back or not? And I'm going to say no. I think that he's going to get a higher strike rate on that slider and the fastball is still going to be a really, really good fastball. So I'm not going to remove his ace is going to ace label. I also think that Joe Ryan is going to be better with this splitter inside than going what one whiff out of over 30 of them in mm-hmm. the last uh, last start he had. So these are all good things. 
and they are up here because we just do we generally expect them to succeed more. It doesn't necessarily mean that they will, but it's just all right, they have more of a, a skill set that speaks that success moving forward from today. So Christian Javier, you'll be fine. All right, let's move on to the next tier here. Then this is tier three. 16 through 23, Justin Verlander, Pablo Lopez, number 18 is Aaron Nola, up one, Logan Gilbert at 19, followed by Nathan Eovaldi, George Kirby at 21, Bobby Miller at 22, and Sandy Alcantara at 23, who falls seven. What's it called, and why is it called that? This is the the stadium suite, because Mm. it's nice, it's fun, but it's like, it's detached, you know? It's not really yeah, sure. like you don't feel a part of the experience, yeah. but it is clearly like legit. Let's jump into Aaron Nola here, who jumps up one uh, to 18. I mean, this list is not a ranking of ERA, but ERA is a fantasy category. And Aaron Nola currently has the 59th worst ERA among starting pitchers. There are, I think, six qualified pitchers. One, two, three, four, five, six qualified pitchers. Sadly, one of them is in this tier who has a worse ERA than Aaron Nola at the moment. I was taking a look and seeing, okay, obviously he had a really slow start. Then May wasn't any better. June has been somewhat better, but it's still a 450 ERA over 20 innings pitched. Have you seen anything from Aaron Nola of late who got shelled against the Dodgers, who gave up four against Arizona that has you thinking, okay, maybe he could finally turn it around and have a better second half? I mean, this Arizona game, he allowed a three-run homer to Cattell Marte. That was just like, oh. And he killed it otherwise. I mean, he essentially had a one whip and nine strikeouts. And he allowed this stupid home run. And I'm just like, oh, man. You know, that's been the story a lot with Aaron Nola. And it is an interesting conversation to be had. It's very easy for me, and I've done this all the time, to say, all right, you just have this bad inning. And thus, you know, I don't expect you to really have that. You know, the left on base rate right now is 62% for Aaron Nola and league average is 71%. That is 14th percentile left on base raise. Just saying like, look like it's just really unfortunate when your hits happen. Right. And those are causing runs more so than they should. Cause it's a 110 whip, which also is a fantasy stat. And that's really good that, that he has a 110 whip. His strikeouts are 90th percentile in 93. So it's, it's not like Aaron Nola isn't providing for you right now that you're just struggling with. And he's just been bad. Like, no, the ERA is bad. So it's about right now, we think the strikeouts are going to be there. We think the whip is going to be there, if not better. And it's just a question of, is he going to continue to have that left on base rate or not, in my view? Mm -hmm. Now, the 1.43 homer per nine is elevated. I do wonder if that's going to get better or not. I'm just going to say, look, Aaron Nola really isn't that different. And he had success with his sinker last. Actually, the only hit he allowed on his sinker as he increased its usage a lot was a really dumb single on an 0-0 sinker outside of the zone to a lefty uh, that hit off the end of the bat as a flare. Like, you never see that. that that's I'm not going to say, like, oh, well, he's got a bad sinker then. Like, no, that's just... Sure. Yeah. It's baseball, Susan. So, I, I, I still feel very encouraged by Aaron Nola. I think he's a good buy low in this way. Uh, I don't think any of us really believe it's going to be a 4-6-6 ERA the rest of the year, uh, the way. You want to use XERA, sure, three five one. Um, just to kind of show like, yeah, he's not really that deserving of it. Now, 24% strikeout rate versus 28 or 29 that we've seen from Aaron Nola in the past. And there is some concern about that. Um, but I mean, really, I, I just think that he's been getting kind of unlucky and the skills are just generally still there. 
Uh, Ellen Adair, of course, will have so many more words to say about this. He needs to mm-hmm. increase his strike rate on his changeup, for example. 56% is a little bad, but the curveball is still an elite pitch. We're talking 90th percentile swing strike rate, 95th percentile O swing on it, uh, 66% strike rate with it. Like Aaron Nola is still really, really good, guys. The, a few things there. One, top 10 in terms of actual home run versus expected home run. So definitely a little bit unlucky with the, you know, the one home run against uh, Vargas in Detroit, excuse me, in uh, LA that only would have been a home run or would have been a home run in very few parks. Um, he's definitely not going to be giving up as many home runs next year when he is a Baltimore Oriole baby. And well, the last thing I target. want to say, yeah, I, that's who I've been saying since last offseason. I'll say uh, the lack of signings this past year will be totally fine with me if we sign Aaron Nola um, because he's a free agent. Uh, The the free agent class next year is unbelievable. Darvish is off the market, obviously, but Julio Urias, Luis Severino, Aaron Nola, uh, Lucas Giolito. That's the one I think we'll get. I think they might trade for him this year, to be honest. But anyway, the other thing that you you reminded me of that makes this uh, activity so frustrating and such a folly is I was thinking about you yesterday as I was watching the Orioles Cubs game on Father's Day. Luckily, it did not ruin my Father's Day. There was a moment where Dean Kramer, um, there was no one on. He was cruising through the inning and um, he gave up a pop up to Cody Bellinger. It went maybe a foot into the uh, Orioles uh, dugout and our first baseman, Josh Lester, um, who is usually a third baseman, was not able to make the catch, a catch he should have made. Right. Really should have been the, the inning, whatever. Next pitch to Cody Bellinger, line drive to right field. Ryan O'Hearn, first baseman, is now playing right field because of many other factors. Misplays the ball, hits off the top of his glove. Cody Bellinger hits a triple. Um, uh, 1-2 count or 2-2 count to Christopher Morrell in an at-bat that shouldn't happen. Dean Kramer, poor pitch. Morrell hits it, you know, 15 rows deep into left field. All runs are earned. And what's so frustrating is if I'm not watching that game, you're not watching that game and we're doing Dean Kramer analysis and we talk about the problem with the home runs and we talk about the contact that he gave up and the expected difference between ERA and actual ERA, you know, sometimes it's just watching the game like you did with Nola and saying like, mm, that right there, that one pitch that bloated that ERA, if that's different. We're talking about Aaron Nola in a totally different way. Yeah, this is what I've been telling you about Jesus Lazardo, but you don't listen to me. Um, yeah, the fact that Lazardo though just keeps happening over and over and over. Happened with Nola <laughs> and not against the Nationals this past week, just to let you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, with Aaron Nola, I'm going to keep holding strong with that one. And I mean, it's the same thing kind of with Bobby Miller. Honestly, I dropped him one. I saw on Reddit. I post on Reddit every single week. And I think the only comment I've saw, seen so far, outside of someone mentioning Steve Nebraska, which is great because that means they read the notes. Uh, Bobby Miller, like, what? How do you still have Bobby Miller at twenty-two? Um, there was no no outrage when it happened at twenty-one last week, but it's because he just had the seven earned run game. Then suddenly he doesn't deserve it, and yeah. I disagree. I watched all of that, and Bobby Miller, yeah, he didn't have the best uh, two-seamer command. Like his fastball was just was weird. Um, it was a little tweak he didn't have and he didn't make the adjustment in the inning and the last two innings he allowed those seven hundred runs and there was a lot of terrible luck uh, especially against Brandon Crawford twice that just drove me up the wall um, mm. but uh, but yeah but Bobby Miller is still the same exact Bobby Miller we thought he was before and there's nothing really different that I'm going to pull from that than saying oh you know what I was really wrong ranking him as highly as I am I'm like no he's he's still Bobby Miller moving forward 
And I think that's really important to to understand is that I'm trying as hard as I can to discern when are these bad outings actual things like wait a second the velocity is down he does you know the command is really bad on this thing and actually we've seen that before and it does feel like actually that this is starting to be something that is worrisome versus like oh yeah a guy had a bad you know he allowed runs like everyone's gonna allow runs at some point so okay yeah the the last thing i'll say too about uh, about this well aaron nola gets a difficult start against atlanta um, and if he does poorly, that might be a great time to see if he could buy low because then it's Chicago, the Nationals, and Miami after that. Mm-hmm. Sandy, it does not get easy, right? So Sandy, you drop seven. He's at the bottom of the tier now, obviously, you know, near five ERA. Uh, he's at 23 right now, dropping seven, 1.22 whip. The K rate at 19% isn't the, the biggest shocker in the world because of who he is, but now it's Toronto. A Boston offense that is very hot right now after putting up a lot of runs against uh, New York, followed by Atlanta, followed by Philly. That is not a fun stretch. So uh, first and foremost, I do want to mention that I do wonder if like you can do well about the Red Sox because one game of 15 or runs is going to skew all of those WRC plus numbers for a bit. <laughs> sure. Uh, especially okay. in like two weeks against uh, like right handed pitching or whatever you want to say. Um, but I, Sandy Alcantara to me, I mean, of course, what do you know? I watched this. Um, Mm. the command was actually legitimately bad. Uh, it was not typical of Sandy, but yeah, he was really laboring every single pitch and just not putting the pitch where he wanted to go. Um, sometimes he would get it, but great, cool. And then the next one wouldn't. And that's not typical of Sandy. Um, we have also seen, uh, you know, essentially I've seen Sandy perform at this level or like at the level he's been at for about two and a half years now and there was a time in 2021 where it faltered for a moment i remember i have a very distinct memory of i think it was like july 1st and pablo lopez and sandy alcantara were on the same team pablo was looking great he had a better marks at the time and i remember saying look like it's about this point moving forward and i believe that sandy alcantara still has all of this that he's going to tap into whatever and what do you know sandy went on the most ridiculous run ever with all these double digit strikeout games and so on and so forth and falling into the uh, hearts and minds of all of us. So I don't think that Sandy Alcantara now is just like commandless. And that's really the decision that I'm making is why do I have this adoration for Sandy Alcantara is because not just because he has like throws hard and, and stuff is because he's showcased this really good ability to locate those fastballs up and in and get those outs effectively with it. A really beautiful changeup and a slider that isn't actually always there, but it's there enough. Uh, to make things work. And right now we're seeing a changeup that is not there. The fastball command was off. And I was like, whoa, this mm. is weird. And it's one of those games that like this guy just won a Cy Young. And you don't win a Cy Young by just being always good. You make get a Cy Young by actually being able to make adjustments in season when sure. things aren't going right. And he hasn't been able to thus far. And I'm not going to say like, oh, all those skills are just gone. So yeah. I see this as a really good buy low. I see also, I specifically put him at the bottom of this tier because Sandy Alcantara has the legitimate top 10 upside that none of the guys I think underneath him do. I think that any one that says realistically like, oh yeah, no, I see this guy as a top 10 player the rest of the way. It's just like that. Everyone's going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's no real world that that comes to fruition, but you can see it with Sandy Alcantara. It's just about actually, you know, making those adjustments. I'm not saying he is, I don't have him there, but he has that ceiling still. And, if you don't like this ranking, by all means, I understand. I am I'm being more aggressive on this one. 
sometimes with when I make my list, I get to actually put my foot down. It's like, no, this is truly how I feel about this guy and what he mm. brings to the table. And this is one of them with Sandy Alcantara. Okay. Um, all right. We've got plenty of other pictures to talk about. And we're going to get to all of them right after this break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. And we're back with a rather fun large tier filled with a lot of names that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate would be this high at this point of the season, which is fun. Tier 4, 24 through 35. Logan Webb, Marcus Stroman, Hunter Brown, Joe Musgrove down 5 to 27. Hugh Darvish, Freddie Peralta up 3. James Paxton up 4 at 30. Followed by Bryce Miller. Tyler Wells jumps 10 to 32. Followed by Zach Eflin, Merrill Kelly, Mitch Keller. What's it called and why is it called that? These are just like, all right, you know, we didn't get front row, but like these are good, like middle back of like a concert. Like I've got good sound. It's not the most expensive one, but this will always be a good concert. Very good. Very good. I'm trying to look up real quick. There's a few pictures that I want to talk about in this tier, but like pretty hard to ignore the fact that Merrill Kelly just had a 20 whiff game. Um, yeah, right. against the, the the Philadelphia Phillies, right? With, you know, a smattering coming across the changeup. So four on the changeup, four on the curveball, 10 on the four-seamer, which he largely elevated. Not the prettiest command overall. It looks like he was kind of shifting his approach by handedness, which, of course, makes sense. But this is a, a guy now who's got a, a 27% K rate, which is top 30, right, in baseball right now. A low three ERA, a low whip, you know, he, he he's he's eight and three. So he's getting you the wins on what a, a top five team, a, definitely a top 10 team in baseball right now in the Arizona Diamondbacks. I mean, overall, I don't think there's yeah, both. He only uses two pitches over 20 percent in the changeup in the four seamer, but both have swinging strike rates near the 80th percentile right now. Merrill Kelly has a 13 percent swinging strike rate on his four-seamer right now. I mean, we saw the 11% last year, and we were thinking to ourselves, oh, okay, that's nice, but you know, I don't know if that's necessarily going to stick around for Merrill Kelly. And what does he do? He jumps it up two ticks to 13%. Overall, the approach is pretty different for him, right? He decided to start going arm side with the pitch a little bit more, jam those righties a little bit better. He goes to it 41% of the time arm side. Um, 
he also is another one of those guys that just kind of eschews the the, the popular way of doing things. His high location on his four seamers, 37%. That's sixth percentile in baseball right now. He is just dropping that four seamer low 33% of the time, 91st percentile. And as a result, it seems like it's really just benefiting that changeup, right? The low location on the changeup is 86%, 92nd percentile. And what happens there? The second highest swinging strike rate of his career, the first highest coming in 2020, which was a smaller sample size, but a 19% swinging strike rate. Uh, what are you seeing here from Merrill Kelly that has him as high as he is? Yeah, I don't think it's actually the four-seamer that's really doing all this. I think it's that change-up. Uh, PLV marks since 2021, okay, uh, on Merrill Kelly's change-up. And 2021 is a 476, which is below average. Uh, the average is like a 493. Think like five is the average. And if you have anything above a five, it's like, oh, really good. And if you get to like five, five, that's really good. Okay. Okay. So 476 in 2021. Then 2022 goes up to 511. And then it's 95th percentile this year at 563. Man. Over half of Merrill Kelly's changeups are what we call a quality pitch, which is 89th percentile among all changeups. This is the difference maker to me. Um, the relative performance, if we were to put like the changeup to an ERA, that is the PLA, is a 179 ERA is what that changeup returns, right? That's crazy mm. good. Uh, that, I think, and also, as you mentioned, the low location of it uh, being so consistent. Uh, 92nd percentile, that 86% low location. Really love that. I mean, this is what we see with Zach Gallen, and you got to think that there's some conversation happening. Maybe Brent Strom being involved with that, Dan Heron. Yep. Um, low location was 79% last year for Merrill Kelly. He's also using it more in two strike counts, that changeup. And because of that, I think the four seamer is able to do more, uh, not just with the whiff total going up to 13%, but carrying a 22% called strike rate, uh, which then means a 34% CSW on it. Uh, that is everything here. The cutter, the curveball, whatever. <laughs> I don't really care too much. The sinker has a 42% O swing. He's jamming that to right handers. That's a really cool thing I didn't realize until right now. But that's awesome. 94th percentile on that. I will always get excited at a 40% plus O swing on a sinker. And that clearly is just jamming inside to right-handers. Um, as its approach is uh, inside locations 46% of the time, which is very good. Uh, so Merrill Kelly's making this work. It's also, as we know, like top five off, uh, defense in the majors. I think mm -hmm. the Diamondbacks were the only ones with top 10 um, outfield and infield defense. Um, and there's something to be said about that for both Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen. So right now you just start Merrill Kelly and you don't think twice about it. Do I believe that this is him forever? I don't know. I feel like the command of everything is, is locked in, but it likely will slow down at some point, but who cares? You just keep starting Merrill Kelly right now. The other person that we should talk about who rose, not as much in this tier, but still rose and who was also just putting up very exciting swing and miss numbers. Maybe it's just because of a small sample size is James Paxton who jumps up four to 30. Now we should have seen him last night against the Yankees. We didn't end up doing that because of the rain out. So by the time you're listening to this, likely James Paxton will have gone. So apologies if he gets absolutely shelled. Um, but he's putting up a, 
a 15% swing strike rate on the four seamer. So that's 92nd percentile. Uh, 16% swing strike rate on the curveball, 79th percentile. 18% swing strike rate on the cutter, 89th percentile. And sure, the changeup he's thrown like 30, but it's a 24% swing strike rate, 93rd percentile, all of which are above, aver- above average. He's just a whiff machine. What are you seeing from James Paxton right now? So I watched the start he had against the Guardians on June 6th. That is the nine strikeout game, eight base runners and seven innings, two and runs. And I wasn't actually that impressed. Uh, if you remember, he had 15 total whiffs in the four-seamer, and nine of them came against one batter uh, in three <laughs> different times. He struck him out three straight times on three four-seamers that he swung all nine times and missed, which is the funniest thing ever. So I was thinking, mm, I don't know, actually, am I really overplaying this this adoration for Paxton? Because really, the secondaries weren't that great. And then we saw the start against, yes, Rocky Road. However, 46% CSW on the curveball. And that's, mm-mm, that is such beauty. And 79% strike rate on it as well. The cutter, 86% strike rate. I All we need is for those pitches to get strikes. We don't need them to be the most ridiculous things ever. We just need them to get strikes. And what do you know? Seven out of eight of those balls in play off of the cutter and curveball went for outs. We'll take that. One for eight. Babbitt on it. Beautiful. I love mm-hmm. it. So four seamer was in the top half. It did well. And there you go. There's your successful eight strikeout game in six innings against the Rockies on the road. So I like this from Pax. I, I, he's one of those guys I've been saying that should get better with more time on the mound. We're starting to see that comfort with the curveball and the cutter. And really, it's just down to health at this point. I mean, it's always been the thing is health. But I, you know, I remember when I had about 100 and everyone was like, oh, my gosh, James Pax. And I was like, well, he's coming back this week. Who knows? And all of a sudden, he was amazing. I'm like, okay, everyone go pick him up right now. But he might get hurt. Who cares? Who cares? He's the last one on your team. If he's not hurt, he's this. (laughs) So so this is going great. And I hope he stays this way. I mean, he will have some some times where the uh, the secondaries aren't quite there, as everyone will have bumps in the road. We already saw one against the Angels. But James Paxson is pretty much an auto start at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, anyone else in this chair a quick hit upon that you'd uh, like to make before we move on to tier five? Uh, Mitch Keller feels like he's the magic is wearing off. It's like a funny thing where I say, hey, for ages, I go, this is weird. This is weird. This is weird. Then finally, I'm like, all right, he's really good. And then the second I say that, they go, <laughs> got him. And then all of a sudden, you know, I have to pull him down. So I pull him down to 35. I hope not anymore. I mean, it's. Mitch Keller is his own animal. So I think we just keep starting him. I think he's, his, the cutter is still good. It's just, please have the good command to make this work. Let's move to tier five then. Tiny little baby tier, just three, 36, 37, 38. And that's Jesus Cesardo, Dylan Cease, and Blake Snell jumping up 11. So we, we, we have to talk Blake Snell because, you know, obviously the 12K is against Colorado and you're like, all right, what's going to happen? And then facing off against the best team in baseball in his former team in Tampa Bay, seven four seam whiffs seven change up whiffs five curveball whiffs four slider whiffs perfectly executing i mean we're talking about a near a 50 percent csw on the changeup, but a near 50 percent csw on the curveball which i think is what you've been kind of looking for it's one of those breaking pitches to kind of take a step forward and it did are we finally dawning on what will be the a mini but brief golden age of of blake snell so to answer your question fast, what is this tier called and why is it called that? Um, <laughs> it would be called the scalped tickets. 
because they could be real good, but I don't know <laughs> sure. actually what they are. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Blake Snell, you're right. It's actually, it's a very interesting time because he has a sub one ERA and like a sub, like it's like a 0.6 whip over his last five starts, which is just insane. Like a 39% strikeout rate. Has to be all walks too. (laughs) 11% walk rate. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, and, 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 you know, against a lot of bad teams here, keep in mind, like, you know, you have the Nationals, you have the Marlins, you have the Cubs. But the last two have been Coors and the Rays. And those are the ones that have been 12 strikeouts apiece, right? So what's going on? And I've been, I mean, I think I've been locked into what Snell is doing as much as any pitcher this year. Because I've just been dying. I know how good Mm. he can be. I know his true potential. It reminds me. Sorry, I'm reminded of it every day in my bedroom as the Blake Snell blueprint hangs Mm. on my wall. And you guys think I'm joking about that. I am no, not joking about yeah, that. It's there. Yeah. Uh, so, so what I've been waiting for is that blueprint to exist. I want four seamers in the upper half. I want to see curveballs and sliders and changeups underneath. And not even against the Rockies did we get that in course. And we didn't even get it here. Um, hmm. You want to know what's crazy? It was only a 62% strike rate on the curveball. Not like a 75% or something, which is fine. I'll take a 62% all day. But it was only a 54% strike rate on the slider, despite getting four whiffs on it. But just as 54%. The fastball, half of them were, were low lock, were low location. Mm. But the changeup has really been like the thing. It's, it's wild. The changeup has always been this placeholder. The game plan number one for Blake Snell is four seamers up, curveballs yeah. and sliders underneath. Every single time, that's plan A. And then the changeup is, oh no, I can't get strikes. I need to do something else. And he introduces it. The changeup has been magnificent all of a sudden, right? It is way out of timeout now. It is celebrating. The leash is off. It's now at the top of the pig pen and it's not coming down. Okay. So I guess this is around now. I hope this is not going to be detrimental to him, but it's really hard for me to really lean into Blake Snell and like, oh yeah, the second half is coming for him. Without that fastball, just absolutely demolishing the zone. I I got a text that apparently Blake Snell had a uh, like ridiculous like twenty three inches induced vertical break on like at least one of his fastballs, which is just like what? Which is just insane. But the thing is, he didn't. He's not consistent, right? So yeah, I know, I know. Now I saw you should have seen Fast's face scrunch up there, uh, but. It's it's one of those things where if he actually did that, that is the true sustainability. And that's really all I'm chasing is that there is a certain way that's sustainable that we know works with Blake Snell. Is his chaos, is he just a new professor chaos where I just don't really know, but we just, I guess, assume that he's going to figure something out here? I Maybe. Um, I needed to raise him up here, but I needed to see at least one more start of like actual game plan execution uh, before I really started to lean into Blake Snell. What'd you find, Fast? Yeah, uh, the 24, he had a few instances in, well, yeah, he's had a few instances of of uh, uh, 23 inches of vertical break. That's vertical insane. Break. Yeah. Um, most Where recently against, against Tampa. Most recently against Tampa. Um, this one was to Harold Ramirez. I believe it resulted in a foul ball. Um, watching the pitch right now, and it was up and uh up and in ish, kind of down near the belt. Um, but yeah, 
that's that's, that's wild. remarkable that's pretty remarkable yeah um the other there's some other oh uh, actually anything else that you want to hit upon for these other pictures before we move on to the next year because there's a, a good Jesus is really session. good and dylan sees had a really good slider but it was weirdly located and i'm not i don't think we're out of the woods yet in dylan sees Let's look at tier six then here. This is 39 through 49. Lucas Giolito, Chris Bassett uh, plummets down 14 to 40, followed by Braxton Garrett up seven. Yuri Perez at 42. Garrett Whitlock, Bailey Ober. Number 45 is Jose Barrios, who jumps up 14, followed by the cover boy of the week. Michael Walker jumps up 14 to 46. Then we have Taj Bradley, Sonny Gray, and Justin Steele. What's it called and why is it called that? This is at the uh, your child's recital where like you don't want to be like up at the front row you just don't want to be but you found like a comfortable spot so that you can see your child and like be able to wave to them and like cool i was here to support (laughs) okay man so many to hit upon i i I do want to hit upon michael walker real quick because he is the cover athlete we talked but we did talk about him a little bit last week uh jose barrios man i mean it's so funny to see him at 45 justifiably over you know just thinking about the preseason, right? Charlie Morton, Lance Lynn, Shane Bieber, Luis Severino, Jack Flaherty, right? Uh, and and he's deserved it, right? I mean, he almost no hit the Orioles. I mean, sure, it was a like a one fifty Babbitt over the course of the start, but seven and two thirds with no one runs, three hits, one walk, and five Ks. The five Ks, I believe, largely came in like the uh, third inning on. I think the first time through the order, he didn't record a single K, if I recall correctly. He's picked up 25 called strikes. The sinker had a 75% strike rate. Um, The Orioles were just not able to put solid wood on any of his pitches. Even before that, too, this isn't an aberration, right? Houston, right before that, maybe probably a better offense. I don't know if they had... The last 12 uh, games for Jose Barrios. 227 ERA, 108 whip, 21% K rate. That's over 75 innings. That's unbelievable. And he's really reduced the the four-seamer usage in favor of sinkers, and it's worked out really well for him. So, I mean, yeah, 87% left on base rate at that time. The bat is down to 256, blah, 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 blah. There will be some regression in this way, and the strikeout rate isn't too high. But still, I mean, we're at a point that you have Barrios, you just keep on going and hoping this works. I, I do worry that there isn't enough punch in this or thump in that in that uh, repertoire, right? It's it's a curveball that's okay. Like, sorry, I shouldn't say it's okay. It's a very good curveball, but 14% swinging strike rate. Like, this isn't one like, all right, I've got my, you know, my winner or whatever. I'm got, I got this. Like, sometimes it is, but it's not always that. The sinker, yeah, 5% swinging strike rate on that. Really good at getting called strikes at the moment. Uh, 83rd percentile um, at 27%. And the four simmer can't really be trusted. Uh, but that, that's kind of the problem, I think, with Barrios. And maybe that changeup is that 17% swing strike rate pitch, and he can rely on, on that a lot. I don't. I feel like that's the more tenuous um, element here. So that lack of electricity for, for Barrios is what has me a little skeptical. But this is clearly working for him on a winning ball club, and that's really cool. So if you're going by the only person who does not move in this tier is Taj Bradley, which I think is kind of funny because if you're going by the first right? three innings, oh, man. I had him. Um, that's funny. There was a lot of movers and shakers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Love he was it. essentially in that tier five uh, with Luzardo season Snell as uh strikeout guys. Hunter green was there by the way, until yeah. he went on the IL like 10 minutes before a, a hit publish. 
Sure. Uh, so that's why it's only a three-person tier. It was initially a five-person tier. Taj Bradley is a strikeout guy. Honestly, he's young Glasnow to me. Hmm. Uh, where he has a fastball that is going to destroy guys. He has hopefully like one secondary pitch that he can throw for strikes, and that's his cutter. And then maybe this third offering um, in a curveball that he needs to get down. Like He's going to be inefficient, but can get you a lot of strikeouts. And I feel that his command is just that much worse and too much cherry bomb nature to be in that tier five. But he's still a definitive step above those in tier seven. Yeah, what I was going to say before was that like if you're watching the first three innings of Taj Bradley's start, you'd be like, oh, okay, so he's a top 25 starter. And then if you watched anything after the third inning, you'd be like, okay, he's, he's got a lot of problems that he's got to deal with because he struck out the first three batters in order, which uh, if I recall correctly, he's the only pitcher this year to have re- uh, recorded the first three outs via strikeout without letting a batter to reach base. Really? Right? Yeah. Um, which is pretty remarkable. The guys have struck out the side and the top, but they've usually yeah, but let one, one three, yeah. not one, two, three. And then what did he do? He pretty much did it again in the second. And then he struck out, I think the side again in the third with letting a few guys reach in the second, and the third, but uh, it was, it was remarkable. I remember I was going up against him in a, in a, in a fantasy matchup, but just thinking, okay, well, I guess it's, I guess this is, this is over and done with. But like you said, then again, you know, two runs, uh, excuse me, three runs, two earned, the cherry Base bomb uh, in killed, nature. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And it's because of the his walks. He didn't even go five innings. It was 4.2. No, it was yeah. one. Uh, so yeah. that, that's that's wild. And I mean, literally, he's he's a wild pitcher. So I, I hope he's, you know, I think there's talent there absolutely moving forward. It's an amazing, amazing four-seamer. Um, but yeah, he has a lot of things to figure out first. So one last thing before we take our next break here, too. I th- I think it was Waka where it was. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but wasn't it Waka last week where I was like, how come we're a little down on Waka? He's got an easier schedule coming up. Um, and I think we had that conversation. Now, he, he dominates again. He does what he should have done against poor teams. Talk to me a little bit about what has gotten Waka up to, I believe, what is his highest ranking of the year at 46? Oh, yeah. I mean, all right, now it's eight games of a 0.91 ERA and a 0.79 whip with a 25% K rate. Unreal. All right, fine, Waka. You get this week's featured image of the list. Your changeup is elite. Fine. Here we go. I mean, that's, <laughs> all right. that's nothing more than that. All right, we 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 did it. We made it uh, in, in about 45 minutes. We made it to pitcher 50, but before we get to the final 50, we're going to take a quick break. All right, and we're back. Tier 7 here, 50 through 59. John Gray falls 15 at number 50, followed by Charlie Morton. Lance Lynn jumps up 20 to 52. Shane Bieber falls 8 to 53, followed by Luis Severino, who falls 13 to 54. Emmett Sheehan appears on the list at 55, followed by Yusei Kikuchi, Brian Bayo, Jack Flaherty, and Tony Gonsolin. What's it called, and why is it called that? This is the front row of SeaWorld. <laughs> Because it's a nice seat, but you're going to get wet and is the show yeah, epically okay? Yeah, it's going to be highs and lows here, guys. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Oh, uh, man. So many things to talk about. We have to start with the guy who recorded more whiffs than any other pitcher so far this year. What is there a title for that at the end of the year? Like the guy who it's like the goldenest of goals. Like, I don't know what you would, I would call say. It, I would call him the hangman. Um, the hangman. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I. So, why not? Yeah, Lance Lynn. 33? Hi. 33? Yeah. 33 whiffs. So yeah. he's up 20. 
you think this is he's back or what are you thinking here? Do you know I uh, you know we have that shirt Patrick Sandoval thirty two whiffs right? It was honor yes. of him getting that. Do you remember what team he did that against? Did he do that against the Seattle Mariners? Yeah, he did that against the Seattle Mariners. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, okay, Lance Lynn. This is what I I'm very conflicted because you guys know how I feel about Lance Lynn. I was like, yeah, there is potential here. Hi, look at this. And what do you know? He has the most potential. By the way, he got a loss in this game. Um, nice. 300 runs in seven innings, even though 20, he had 21 outs and 16 of them were strikeouts, which is the funniest thing. Um, I watched all of it. And it comes down to two things. One, Lance Lynn is generally not very good outside of his four-seamer and his cutter. Sometimes the sinker gets involved too. The, the slider, curve change, all that kind of stuff, generally not that good. But they were all good here. They were just all working. It was insane. Yeah. He threw this amazing 2-2 changeup for strike three to Suarez. Or maybe it was Ty France. I can't remember. It was beautiful. The cutter got 11 whiffs, you know, breaking balls, six of them, and, and only seven on the four-seamer. You think the four-seamer is the one. 33, only seven of them were the four-seamer, right? That's not typical. And maybe that was just the Mariners being the Mariners. Mm. Because the zone rates of these pitches, changeup was 18%. Curveball was 20%. Sinker was 15%. However, the strike rates on all of these, sinker 50%, 55% the curveball, 64% on the changeup, right? That's because of O-swing. That's the only way that there's a difference between those two things. So that's okay. Are we going to buy into that? I don't know. I think he was good at it and really leaned in, but uh, it doesn't feel that believable in that fashion. I mean, look, I'm not here I am telling you that 16 strikeouts isn't believable more at 11. So what are you supposed to do with Lance Lynn now? Well, you have to at least hold on to him for this. I mean, sure. Heck, maybe there's something that he's replicating now that he really does believe in his secondaries. If I were a betting man, I would say this is what we call a Dennis. That is, it shows up, but doesn't stay around for long like Dennis from Mm. 30 Rock. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't really buy high on this. Um, It was a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, I hope to be wrong. I hope that this is actually the new Lance Lynn and he just soars off into the sunset. There's more to that Dennis. When you said the Dennis, I, I anticipated Dennis Miller as host of Monday Night Football, which was always but Yeah, funny. it shows up and isn't around for long. There you go. Yeah, it's perfect. The, the last thing I wanted to say about Lance Lynn, which kind of cracked me up, is when you look at his strike zone plot, which you'd be able to do if you go to the pitcherless player pages and search Lance Lynn and go down to his game log and hit the plus button to see the strike zone plot. It cracks me up that he was virtually saying to himself, like, I cannot throw two pitches in the exact same location. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen more pitches, like less overlap in yeah. pitches. Like it's all, it's Pretty almost funny. as if every pitch is fully unique. He's playing like that Wind Waker game, game, you know, the, uh, like the battleship and Wind Waker trying to. Sure. Yeah, sport. exactly. Yeah. Um, the other person that I, you know, I, I wanted to discuss in this tier is Luis Severino, who. It just hasn't clicked for him, right? And it continued to not click for him against Boston last night. Five innings, three in runs, three walks, six Ks, four total runs, and seven hits. 81 pitches, right? I mean, he got the nine four-seam whiffs, which was nice. Um, that, that that wasn't terrible. There's something interesting I noticed because I was getting ready. You know, I was doing stuff for for the the broadcast for ESPN about him. He's changed because, like, there's not a lot different. 
in terms of his profile, right? The, the slider isn't that different in terms of movement profile. The four seam has lost about an inch of ride overall, which again, isn't the worst thing in the world. He's he's changed his horizontal release point, which is mm-hmm. I think is fascinating. He's dropped it down and it's actually at a, you know, I was like, okay, maybe he's trying to do what he did uh, when he had a little bit more success earlier on in his career. But, you know, back in 2018 or, or 2017 when he was healthier, but it's not even there. It's in this weird in-between point. And I thought, OK, maybe he's standing a little bit closer towards the third base side of the rubber. But it's it's not that either. From what I could tell via the camera footage that I have from last year and this year, although there is a slightly different camera angle in Yankee Stadium, so it's not perfect. But from what I can tell, he's actually just dropped that arm uh, a little bit further out to the side. Um whereas he used to be a little bit more over the top. And I wonder if that's having an impact on how guys are seeing that four seam and that slider from him, because it's not going to lie. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly why he has struggled so bad in terms of movement profile. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I actually don't think that Severino is that far away from being good again. Um, you can't have a 12% CSW and the changeup and 10% on the slider. Like you can't do that. But, I mean, that's what it was against the Red Sox. However, the four-seamer was really good. It was in the zone a ton, 77% of the time. Nine over 52 whiffs is cool with me. Uh, And, you know, I think you've heard by now my theory of foul balls, um, where foul balls, how are we supposed to translate them? Because there's always been, like, this noise. I I joke about you and Chamberlain being like, they keep us up at night. (laughs) And my theory is you take whatever outcome is more likely or what we expect more of, either it's a swinging strike or a ball in play, right? When a batter swings, is it more are we are, are more inclined to think that they're going to get a whiff or a, a ball in play? Foul balls steal from that outcome. Mm-hmm. So a guy that has a lot of whiffs all of a sudden has a lot of foul balls on a given night. Those swings are taking from, or those foul balls are taking from whiffs as opposed to balls in play. While there's a guy like Kyle Hendricks who's just trying to get balls in play all the time on these things. Those foul balls are preventing balls in play. It's why, like, Joey Wentz over the weekend had nine strikeouts because he had a ton of foul balls. And instead of getting whiffs a lot, he normally gets his balls in play. But because those were foul balls, it led to longer at-bats, which then led to more strikeouts, right? Mm. So that that's my thought of it. I see 16 foul balls on 52 four-seamers thrown, which is over a 30% rate. And generally, you see, like, 20% or so on foul balls, something like that. So it, that kind of tells me, like, they weren't on the heater that much. Sure, he allowed four hits on the four-seamer. But Severino's fastball, I think, is actually performing well at the moment. It, his slider is just not dependable. Uh, 50% strike rate can't be it. 53% mm. strike rate on the changeup can't be it. So it became, he turned into more of a uh, one-pitch pitcher, which is why I also think this the foul ball rate was so high because they're swinging more at it, right? They're like jumping yeah. on their seats for it. So that actually seems better than just like, what is going on? I don't know. Um, to have a foundation of a four seamer, I still think is good for Severino. Actually, opens the door for this to get better. This has actually really been the last two starts for him. It was like this, I think, also with the Mets. Obviously, not there, full, uh, you know, the full repertoire. But I think there is a good path forward for Severino. It's just about really nailing down that slider and changeup. Uh, anyone else in this tier that you'd like to hit upon before we move on to the next tier? I uh, am machine. Hey, who's this guy? He's essentially a little bit better, Brady Singer. That's what I see. Ooh, uh, wow. A little bit better. That's not the most ringing endorsement. Yeah, it's not. He has a lot of horizontal movement on this fastball. Call it a sinker, call it a four-seamer. It's like in between. You know those. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
secondary stuff from the debut, I mean, there could be a decent amount of slider whiffs. And that's about it. Um, Yusei Kikuchi has three straight starts now, throwing curves and sliders in the zone. And it's really good. And I'm like, oh boy. Uh, Brian Bay is exciting, but I don't know if he has a good enough slider yet. Uh, and Flaherty got rocked for five earned runs as I put out this ranking. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm just going to leave it there because yeah. he is pretty much a cherry bomb anyway. But oh yeah, also Shane Bieber, sell him. Stop, stop holding on Shane Bieber. I've been saying this for weeks, but seriously, do that. John Gray, last thing. Sorry. John Gray drops 15. Everyone's like, what the heck? You were so in on John Gray. Because he missed 10 days with a blister and was not in rhythm. And that's what I was scared about was that John Gray would get out of rhythm. And here he is now. Yes, it was against the Jays. But like, I'm scared it's going to be weird now. All right. Let's look at tier eight, 60 through 67. Tanner Bybee falls 16 to 60. Louis Varlin falls 10 to 61, followed by Brian Wu, AJ Smith Shaver, Andrew Abbott. What a fun stretch of young names there. Reed Detmers at 65. Domingo Herman falls 11 to 66. And Michael Kopech down 9 to 67. What's it called? And why is it called that? This is the friend who's like, dude, I got like backstage, so I can get us backstage. Don't worry about it, you know? And you don't know if you can trust that this guy can actually like get you. Yeah where you want to be but man it would be so fun if you're just like behind the curtain watching the show okay uh let's talk about aj smith shaber then as you said you were doing going to do a little bit of a breakdown of him either way let's give you the opportunity to talk about him as three starts now first one we kind of throw away i don't think that was a start i think it might have been in relief it was a relief one third point one innings then we saw this weird game against the nationals uh where i didn't really want to pull anything from it and then we saw this game against the rockies where I mean, I feel like the ceiling is is Zach Gallen with how he approaches his four seamers. I think he got away with a lot, though. Uh, wow. There are a lot of times that the Rockies like should have taken advantage of. Actually, I remember reacting once. Uh, it was in a bat where he got to two and no count, and I believe he tried to throw two terrible sliders out of the zone. And uh, it was this very dangerous situation of just walking a batter. And uh, two outs, you know, first and second, like a very, very dangerous moment. And I was like, even as a catcher, it's like, look, you got to go out there right now because you have to make sure you don't throw like a fastball that is super hittable because this guy knows you're going to do that and you Mm -hmm. can't throw it. But he didn't call timeout. 2-0 fastball comes in and it's like the most meaty, like middle in pitch fastball. And he pops it out to second base. And I'm just like. Mm -hmm. Oh boy, that's not the Rockies. That's oh gosh, you know. I'm like shouting on the stream. I don't know what the next pitch is going to be, and I'm shouting, it's going to be this fastball. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. It's exactly the thing, and he pops it out. So it's those little things like that uh, inside of games that I think AJ Smith Shaver got away with in this one. He still barely missed a poor quality start, right? It was 300 runs and 5.2 innings against Rocky Road. So there is some upside here of trying to find those called strikes at the bottom of the zone with four seamers and then getting your curveball and change up underneath it. I don't think he's quite there yet. I'm also willing to understand that he's 20 years old and with every single start, we could be seeing more growth than we're expected to see, right? So it it might happen quicker than another guy. Uh, So I'm interested just because it's also Atlanta and pitching for Atlanta is a good thing to do. Uh, so I'm still interested, but I'm not quite sold yet. Anyone else in this tier that you want to hit upon before we move to the next? Everyone. Tier? No, I don't know. Yeah, Andrew Abbott's not that good. Uh, Brian Wu has a really good fastball, but I don't know how good the secondaries are. Louis Varland didn't do well against the Tigers. What the heck? And Tanner Bybee falls a lot because he just has not put it together. I really liked him because he had four pitches that were really good. And then every single start, it's like one of them is good now. I'm like, what are you doing? Just give me like two that are dependable. I need two. 
but at it's this just point like one also, each time. It's so annoying. At this point, also, you could just say, any, like, about any pitcher in Seattle who's young, you could be like, oh, yeah, he's a pitcher in Seattle who's young, because then you just know, oh, okay, he means he's got a great four-seamer, and we don't know if he's got a secondary. Like, yeah, that's exactly. it. Like, it's, it just seems it like It is that. really funny, by the way. Like, your base camp, you just bring in the White Sox to say, like, hey, you want to work on your slider? We got you, you know? <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> yeah. And then we see like 30% sliders from Bryce Miller and Brian Wu now, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. Good practice, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. He he was a very good stream. Let's move on to tier nine here. 68 through 77. Bryce Elder, Logan Allen, Seth Lugo reappears at number 70, followed by JP France, uh, Drew Smiley, Ranger Suarez. We stick with the JP tier as number 74 is JP Sears. Jordan Montgomery at 75, Julio Tehran at 76 and rounding out the tier at 77 is Aaron Savale. What's it called and why is it called that? This is you getting invited to the opera. And you're just sitting wherever your parents bought you the ticket. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, that's that's a very good one. Uh, there's a few uh, fun names to talk about within this tier, but I feel like the one that we have to talk about is the is the largest riser, right? And Aaron Savale, right? He hasn't made the most starts so far this year, just five overall. But in those five starts, he's got a two six seven ERA with a one twenty six WHIP. One twenty six WHIP obviously isn't fantastic, but it isn't necessarily crushing your team. The K's aren't necessarily there for you overall, but he's been doing it against relatively good opponents, right? This is what nine maybe 10 total innings with 10 k's against san diego and boston combined with just four and runs total um I, I believe there's been a change too in that mm, curveball usage a little bit not so much um what are you seeing from aaron savali that has him up at seven what i'm seeing is oakland and then milwaukee mm. and then the cubs and then the royals before the all-star break mm. that that mm, yeah that's a that's a fast mm, all right Mm, that's a uh, mm, that's a tasty mm. yeah so you're right i don't really necessarily believe in everything that savali does i still think the sinker isn't very good i hope to see cutters and curveballs combined for about 65 percent usage on a given start maybe throwing some sliders in there to get to that 65 percent um so that's not you know i want to see 35 percent or fewer fastballs combined um and he's done 31 percent this year so that's good um but yeah he's still not that special it's just oh, that's a good schedule and like you're going to see a fair amount of quality start opportunities there so um yeah that's pretty good to target i was i was looking this up because i was curious because i was like didn't aaron savali when he came back from the il last year was actually relatively good so if you combined the beginning of this year with the return from his il stint last year in the middle of june it's 93 innings of a 3.29 ERA with a 3.60 FIP. Like that's that's pretty mm. good over that sample size with a 24% K rate and a 6% walk What's rate and a 110 WHIP. 110. Oh man, so he was really good last year because it's 126 this year. Yeah, yeah, but still, that's the, maybe yeah. Obviously, it's been it's been difficult for him to stay healthy, but I, I dig that 11 ranking. Um, you should. I didn't. You tweet relatively. Uh, like yeah, not long ago about JP Sears. I, it is so apt fast. I was so proud of it. Mm. JP Sears is 2022 Eric Lauer. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're saying. Just a, a great lefty? four seamer up at the top of well, the zone. It's a four seamer that like some days will go like, hey, um, here's 14 widths. And then the next day it's mm. like, here's two. <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, what am I supposed to do with this? Sure. You know? So, yeah. like, the slider, we hope, is going to be better, but it's not. Uh, it's just frustrating. So, he's a Toby. Like, look, he gets Cleveland next, fine. Maybe it's even opposite Savali. I don't know. But whatever. It's 
Fine. You're a Toby. <laughs> he, he's like, listen, he's one of those guys that like I was looking at him in a points league and it's always it's never like, oh, man, he's crushing it for me. But it's it's positive. Good, positive points. You know, thinking about guys like him, like Tyler Wells, um, other guy, you know, other guys who are higher up, you know, Bailey Ober, guys who are just like the dudes that you always write about, the dudes who are like just kind of winning you leagues at the back end of your rotation that you're just able to stream. Um, anyone else in this tier that you want to talk about before we move on to tier 10? Honestly, not much. Seth Lugo is going to be coming back soon. That's pretty cool. Um, he was a good Toby beforehand. We just don't know where he's at. And I imagine he could get to the other Toby tier if, you know, like two weeks or so when he's probably stretched out. Okay, let's look at tier 10 here, 78 through 84. Kodai Senga rises 3 to 78, followed by Mackenzie Gore, Griffin Canning, Matthew Boyd up 18 to 81, Andrew Heaney, Johan Oviedo, and Brady Singer at 84. What's it called and why is it called that? This is the reserved seat for your friend's concert after he invited you to come to the gig and you have no idea if this is going to be good or not and you can't leave. You, know, <laughs> you, you are right there in the front row. You can't leave. It could be amazing and great. It could just be a really tough three hours. Who who more fitting than to talk about with that description than than Matthew Boyd, who, you know, a, a lot of people say, I, I know you long enough now where we go. He's he goes up 18 spots and you'll say, yeah, to 81. It's not like he yeah. goes up 80 to 50. <laughs> he goes up 18 spots to 81 because his four seamer and his slider haven't looked terrible. I, I'm thinking, too, if I'm continuing to pretend to read your mind, I'm saying, hey. Matthew Boyd's next start is against Kansas City. Have fun, because after that, it's Texas, Coors, and Toronto, and we're not doing any of those. So enjoy that final ride and release him back to whence he came. So this is the thing. I, uh, in tout, I had to drop Matthew Boyd and Jeff Zimmerman. I saw Zimmerman. Out. And I think that's so funny because, yeah, you guys know this. I, I, am, I am true to my word. Where if I was scared after the the Diamondbacks, I'm like, look, even against the Twins, like I don't know if I really want to do this. And honestly, even though he had eight strikeouts and had precise fastball command, um, up and I am up and into right-handers, which is exactly what you want to see. Actually, sorry, to left-handers. Uh, and changeups were actually involved, which were all right. 73% strike rate. We got some slider whiffs in there. He still allowed four and runs and eight base runners over six for a one three three whip which is not good eight strikeouts mm. gotta win absolutely um but i dropped them before then because a i didn't believe the fastball command was real and b yeah. we still really haven't seen the sliders take over and for the long term i was just like all right like i don't really expect to return next start and yeah i'm down to stream him against the royals for one outing but that's about it so I still can't really jump in on Boyd until I see slider dominance. And I don't buy that this fastball is going to be this massive high lock pitch that is going to jam lefties and righties alike. Okay. Um, all right. So I've got a very fun question for you at the end of this podcast. I'm excited to get to, but we have two more tiers to do it before we before we get to that question. Tier 11 here, 85 through 91, Taiwan Walker Kyle Hendricks, Patrick Sandoval, Martin Perez, Michael Lorenzen, Clark Schmidt down 13 to 90, and Kyle Gibson at 91. What's it called and why is it called that? This, um, all right. You need to get a ticket to the game. It just happens to be the one behind the pillar. Everyone knew that one was coming. So there it yeah, is. Yeah, I was waiting for I was waiting for pillar game. Um oh, Tyler pillar Walker, game. is he 
<laughs> pillar game. That's what I was waiting for. Is he not getting enough love? Because this is now one earned run over his last 13. Actually, excuse me. One earned run over his last. What is this? Quick math. Eight plus. Uh, what's eight plus? <laughs> I can't math. Eight plus 12, 20. Um, 20 innings pitched, one earned run, uh, five walks, and like 22 Ks. Sure, it's Oakland and Detroit, but it's also the Dodgers in between there. I know he can be a little streaky with that splitter, but the splitter might be there considering the results. What about Tywin Walker has him down to 85? What? Uh, tell me fast. What does Tywin Walker do? What does Tywin Walker do? He throws splitters and sinkers. Yeah. And then okay. occasionally puts in a couple four seamers. And I know you've always been mad about the inconsistency of, so, so, of Tyler so, Walker's let's review. Against mm-hmm. the Tigers, he throws uh, 46% splitters for 10 whiffs. It looks great. 69% strike rate. He's getting strikes and splitters is all I really care about with the pitch. Okay. Cool. He's also throwing, uh, you know, in, in the previous game, he was throwing like 92 mile per hour four seamers, 90.6 mile per hour sinkers. In that Detroit game, he suddenly throws a 94. Okay, a 94.7 mile per hour fastball. All right. Mm. Now against the Dodgers, he's at 95 with both his sinker and his four seamer. Strike rate's down to 52% though on that splitter. But you know what? That's fine. He's throwing super, super hard. Okay. Then you see Oakland. Splitter usage, yeah, 23%. Sinkers, 494. But then all of a sudden, cutters are thrown 32% of the time for 31% CSW, 75% strike rate. And what I'm trying to get at is I have no idea what tomorrow <laughs> Tywin Walker is going to do. I have no idea. You could say, Nick, this is good because he has all these different ways of finding success. Every single time I hear that argument, it's the opposite. It means that he doesn't actually have anything that is stable. Sure. And what's even worse here is that Tywin Walker now gets Atlanta. Are you going to start Tywin Walker against Atlanta? Mm, probably not. Right. So then he gets the Cubs, fine, and then he gets the Rays. And I just, this is a Toby, I guess, if you want to hold on to him and through all this thick and thin, by all Johns, go ahead. Okay? Very nice. But I, Very nice. I just, I, I won't do it. It, it. This is chaos. I hate chaos. I like to understand what you could be doing on a given night, and I just don't know with Taiwan Walker. Uh, anyone else in this tier that you want to hit upon? Because I've got a good segue that I like. Uh, let's go with, uh, Clark Schmidt. I don't really believe in you. That's why it's minus 13, but honestly, that was 77 to 90, which is nothing. And Kyle Hendricks is back on the list because he's commanding his changeup and his sinker pretty dang well. He's got a great defense behind him as well. You talked about not liking chaos. I too don't like chaos. I like a little bit of organization here and I'm mad, but I'm also relieved because tier 12 is always the Orioles tier. And I was a little miffed. To see Kyle Gibson jump up into Tier 11 alone. But it's okay. We have another Oriole in Tier 12 who has joined Kyle Bradish. And this is Tier 12, 92 through 100. Kyle Bradish at 92, followed by Reese Olsen. Luis Ortiz, Wade Miley returns at 95. Paul Blackburn, here he is. Dean Kramer at number 97, followed by Rich Hill dropping 19 to 98. Joey Wentz and Randy Vasquez. What's it called and why is it called that? This is uh, those bleachers in Wrigley Field. That are on the apartment across the way, like on the roof. Sure. And you're like, all right, I can do this for like one time. <laughs> yeah. Just to say I did it. Yeah. Just to say I did it. Um, so we should talk a little bit about Dean Kramer because he has been on a relatively fun stretch, right? He's been succeeding pretty well. Um, you know, those we already Stupid talked a little bit during Brewers. the podcast. 
The Brewers yeah. messed them up. Yeah. That the that Brewers start was brutal uh, hey. to watch. The Cubs yesterday really he he was cruising until that inning where his defense completely let him right. down and the three earned runs are completely unfair. But before that, man, he had after I think giving up a solo shot to I think George Springer, uh, that might be back to back games actually where the first batter uh, gave up a home run. Not to continue this tangent, but yesterday, you know how you were talking about this with uh, AJ Smith Shaver and the premonitions that you get about what they're going to throw. I yes. was watching this Father's Day game with Kristen yesterday. And it was the bottom of the first inning. Austin Hayes um, hits a ball directly to Mike Talkman, who kind of misplays it, loses it in the sun. Then Mike Talkman ends up throwing out Austin Hayes to end the inning, and he's going to lead off the first, the bottom of the first. And I said to myself, watch, he's going to hit a solo home run. This is just how baseball works. Look at you, first hit, left wow. field bleachers, because uh, Dean Kramer does that. That's tangential, but still, he's been relatively good. Um, oh, they did change it and just give him one earned run because that's good. Yesterday it was three earned runs, so it is one earned run from him. What are you seeing from Dean Kramer that has you thinking? Okay, he can he he is worthy of a place here. Yeah. Um. So Dean Kramer has a cutter. Do you think this cutter is good? Um. Usually the answer for me about is this cutter good regardless of pitcher is no. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna go with no. The PLA, the uh, the pitcher, uh, the pitch level average um, mm-hmm. relative to like how good the pitch was. If you just kind of threw these, what our expected ERA is, which isn't really quite what it is, but just get the idea. 871 in that game yesterday. That is like 871 PL- uh, P, uh, PLA. That is PLA, like okay. ERA relative to how oh, good the pitch is. So I you see, can understand I see. His PLV was yeah. 358 on it. Um, over half of them were qualified as bad pitches. Um, it's not good. And the four seamer, I'm glad that this did well for him. I mean, he needed it. 81% yeah. strike rate, 40% CSW, eight whiffs on that. I don't know how dependable I I want to or how much I want to depend on that four seamer. 15% swing strike rate on it is very, very interesting, but it does get hit very, very hard as well. Uh it's it's expected will bacon is 466 on that fastball which is 23rd percentile. The MLB average is 418 on four-seamers. Uh, but 466 Expo Bacon on the four-seamer is, oh man, I want to see better than that if it's going to be the thing for Dean Kramer. So I, I still am hesitant to really lean in on it. I recognize that he can go six innings on a given night. He could maybe get you a win. Eight and three record is pretty impressive. Uh, that's tied for third in the majors. Um, mm. And with eight wins, Dean Kramer. So I don't know if you knew that part. Um, no, I didn't. That's but, unreal. I, but it's also a four five six ERA and a one four one WHIP. So if yeah. you're looking for the new thief this year of the Cy Young voting, <laughs> it might be Dean Kramer. But yeah, I think he's very much just a start by start basis. I don't trust these good starts against uh, against like the Jays or or yeah. the Rangers. That's uh, just not really the thing I want to chase. Before we get to the question, I'm so very excited to ask you. Let's uh, give you the floor for the new number 100 Yankees pitcher, Randy Vasquez. Oh, I thought that would be the question. What is the question? Okay. Uh, Randy Vasquez might pitch this week against the Mariners. He gets in because Hunter Green all of a sudden wasn't uh, on the list anymore. And he can throw fastballs inside and get outs. He can do that. Um, We saw them um, do that in his last outing. And it's how he won 5.2 innings against the White Sox. Yes, it is the White Sox, but he didn't really do it with the breaking stuff. He did it with really good four seamers and sinkers uh, up and in to right-handers. And we know that the the Mariners like to chase things. So uh, 
this could work out. All right. The question, Jordan Lyles, worst ERA in baseball, near seven. Uh, 14 games this year, uh, 11 decisions, all of them losses. Not a single win oh for Jordan gosh. Lyles so far this year. Yeah. It is the top of the fifth. Yeah. And Bobby Wood Jr. has just put the Royals up. I believe four to nothing. Maybe it's five, but I believe it's four to nothing. Oh man! Uh, will so Jordan Lyles? Well. Yeah. Will Jordan Lyles get his, his first, first win? Fourteen, fifteen decisions in, or will the Royals blow it, and it will be a no decision, or maybe even a loss? The Royals are going to blow it. The, <laughs> the nihilism. What a great way to end uh, on, on the nihilism. We'll have to keep track. You will know by the time that you listen to it. It was in, indeed a single, so that is four nothing Royals. Hopefully, Jordan Lyles can get his first win. Former Oriole. Um, all right, that is going to do it though for episode number 399 400 coming up we're gonna have to do something special uh, uh 399 of all the court of the official pitchless.com podcast i'm your host alex fast and i'm nick pollock and we'll talk to you guys next week